Uh, the, the scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, and may be found on page 933 of your pew Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace among those whom he favors. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Shall we pray together? God of unimaginable glory and inconceivable grace, almost, almost. The time to celebrate your coming is almost here. The youngest among us can scarcely keep still, so great is the anticipation, and even the oldest and wisest among us can't help but smile as we think about the wonder of this night. Once again, we have heard Luke's familiar words. We ask that as we ponder those words, you would be at work in us by your Holy Spirit, that we might receive your living word, our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose birth in our hearts and in our world we await. And may the words of my mouth, the meditations of each of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, Christmas Eve, right? Well, not quite yet. 
this is an odd day liturgically. This morning, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, although your bulletin doesn't say it. We didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and sometime later on today, it will become Christmas Eve for us. As we were thinking, planning for this morning's service earlier in the week, um, Charles and Kim and I sat down with Barbara and Jason and began to talk things through. And as we did so, we asked ourselves the question, when's the last time this happened, Christmas Eve on Sunday? Can any of you all remember I'm pretty sure nobody under the age of six or so. (laughs) It's odd. You would sort of think that just rotating through the calendar, it would have happened as often as Christmas appearing on Sunday, and yet I had no recollection of it that was clear. And so we went back and looked, and according to our records, the last time it happened was 2006, Because of leap year, Sunday on Christmas Eve got skipped in the year in between, and so it's been longer than you might expect. And so I had no clear recollection of that. That's been something of a theme for me this year, this week at least, recovering memories out of the dim reaches Some of you might say it has to do with my age, but uh, I'm going to fight that one. Those of you who were here last Sunday um, will remember, I expect, uh, Charles's story of the nativity scene from New Bern um, that he told last week uh, about a live nativity scene in which Two standard poodles, unclipped, stood in for the lambs, the sheep. That image stayed with me a while. And I thought, well, that, was, that would have been good as long as the dogs didn't want to bark at anybody. That would kind of blow the, the pastoral image. But it also raised to mind, and I, I came back to Charles a couple of days later with this question maybe it's just me, the dogs were used because there was no church member who had sheep, right? So the dogs were, the poodles were a substitute, which raises for me the question, maybe I'm the only one, does that imply that there was a church member who had camels? (laughs) So I asked Charles that question. He said, no, 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 the larger animals were represented by life-size cutouts, plywood, uh, that were painted And as he said those words, I was hit with a memory that had not surfaced for me in more than 50 years, I'm sure. And that is that when I was kindergarten, first grade, second grade, in the church I grew up in, in Jacksonville, Florida, as winter began, the early part of December, and it got very cold in Jacksonville, just like here, 
we would go out on a Saturday morning with other folks in the church and set up just that type of nativity scene. We built the manger open. There was a, I built the, the stall. There was a manger that hay got put in. There were cutouts of animals. And as I recall, the adults in the church took turns dressing up and being part of the nativity scene at night. I hadn't thought about that in years. And that makes me think of those kinds of associations that we bring to this time of year. And so, because of all that we carry, both conscious and just underneath the surface of consciousness, I want us to listen to the way Luke actually tells the story. It was, in many ways, a dark time. That time that Luke tells us about, that we heard Steve read about just a few moments ago, the time when all these things took place, it was a very specific time in the history of the world, in the history of Israel, in the history of God's people. One that some of Luke's first readers had probably heard their parents or their grandparents talk about, though likely they would not remember them themselves. Maybe some of them even remembered some of the players Luke mentions. They wouldn't have known them directly, of course, no more than we would, any of us here, have ever met Queen Elizabeth. But just as we know that name and can locate that person alongside our own personal history, so it was then with those strange-sounding names Luke records for us that we read once a year, every year, on the day before Christmas, Sunday or not. Emperor Augustus, Quirinius, earlier in chapter 1, Herod, and so on. Now, most of us certainly couldn't, have, couldn't tell you anything about those folks beyond the fact that Luke records their names, but we know they existed. There's no question about that. They're part of the history of this world at a very specific time and place. Theirs was, for many, perhaps for most people, a dark time. And it was a dark time spiritually as well for God's people. There had been no word from the Lord for centuries. So long that my guess is many, if not most, of the people in Israel had long since really, had long since stopped really expecting to hear one. Uh, the promises that the Lord had spoken through the prophets were certainly still remembered, still read in the temple and the synagogue, still taught, but no one likely expected to see them fulfilled 
to experience them come true, not in their world, not in their lifetime. Nothing more than a promise of a wisp of a wistful hope held out by dreamers and a few fanatics. It was dark in other ways, too, as the words with which Luke begins his second chapter state starkly, Israel is no longer an independent nation, but an occupied part of the Roman Empire, governed by Augustus, who, like all the Caesars, claimed to be the divine son of Zeus, sent to rule the nations of the earth on his behalf. And although it was a pre-scientific world, it was, make no mistake, a very Darwinian one in which the rich and the powerful amassed more and more wealth and power and everyone else was left to fend for themselves because they didn't really matter after all. As I say, in many ways, it was a dark time that night. And it was in the middle of that long, dark night for Israel and the world that God chose to break God's long-held silence. Who knows why God waited so long? After all, as Scripture itself says, time is different to God. A thousand years is as a day in God's sight and all that. Or perhaps it was just the proper moment. Again, in Scripture's words, the fullness of time. Something about that moment in Israel's history and in the world's history declared its readiness to receive God's word once again. But this time, this time, that word would not be spoken by prophets or any other earthly tongue. This time, God's word would be born a human being, made flesh, incarnate. In Caesar Augustus, there was one on earth who claimed to be God, and he ruled with cruelty and power and seemingly limitless might. Perhaps, perhaps, the living God simply decided it was time to show us what the one true God really looked like walking on earth, as one scholar has said, in sandals. Not Caesar, but this one. In any event, this is what we hear. This is what we receive. This is what we remember today. Luke here gives us the story of the Word of God being born into the world. And it's easy for us to miss all these thousands of years later 
given how familiar these words have become for most of us. But Luke stands everything we might logically, humanly expect about how such an event might happen totally on its head. I want you to remember that today. Think about that. The birth of God's incarnate word occurs not in a governor's palace, nor in the temple, nor even in a middle-class merchant's home. All those things were possible, certainly, but instead it takes place in a hut, a barn, an outbuilding in a hidden alley in a small backwater country town called Bethlehem. Not at all like the birth of Caesar, is it? And to whom is it announced? Not to multitudes of the faithful gathered in watchful worship, but to shepherds. Some of the poorest of the working poor barely subsisting in a subsistence economy as they dozed around their flickering fire in a dark field in the middle of the night. To them, the poorest of the poor, the most powerless and vulnerable vulnerable of all, in the darkest hour of the night, the living God, the creator of the universe, sends his heavenly host to announce the breaking in God's breaking in to human history to light up the deepest darkness with love unthinkable, light unquenchable. And although no one except perhaps Mary had any idea, the world was changed forever. We remember Caesar as a human ruler whose power, whose days, though glorious, are gone. Yet Jesus Christ, God's living word made flesh, born in the deepest darkness, changes lives today still. His power, his glory, shown even to us centuries later. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.